as a tech company, we're looking to show off the, the capabilities of our technology, right? And within sports as an industry, you're often hitting all of the extremes. You have almost everything's live, huge audiences. If anything goes wrong, it's a, you know, th there's a lot of eyeballs on that, any mistakes that you make. Um, and it, it's, it's an entertainment product. So they're looking for, you know, the highest quality and that, you know, it's all to the extremes. Basically, mm. as you go through every cattle, uh, every, every column in that, in that table, it's extreme, extreme, extreme. And as a tech company, that's the best opportunity for us to show off what our tech can do. You're listening to Sports Tech Feed, the global sports technology podcast. Hello and welcome to Sports Tech Feed, the global sports technology podcast. I'm your host, Thomas Loams, and it's great to have you join us again this week. On today's show, I'm joined by Mike Downey, Principal Architect of Sports Technology at Microsoft. In that role, he oversees the engineering, planning and execution of Microsoft's brand partnerships in sports, esports and entertainment. Working with some of the world's largest sporting leagues and franchises including the NBA, NFL, PGA Tour, NASCAR and ESPN. A lot of our discussion today centres on Microsoft's recent announcement of their multi-year partnership with the NBA. Upon announcing this deal, Commissioner Adam Silver stated that the partnership with Microsoft will help us redefine the ways our fans experience NBA basketball. A big statement there from the Commissioner and we dip into that with Mike. We also look at some of the work they're doing in esports uh, and just generally about how these large tech partnerships come about between Microsoft and some of those major leagues. As always, you can get more information in show notes at sportstechfeed.com. You can also go to sportstechworldseries.com forward slash newsletter. There you'll be able to sign up for our weekly newsletter that has all the latest news in sports tech, also has a deep dive, so something you can sink your teeth into a little bit more, and the podcast of the week. If you'd like to reach out about any of our activities or get involved in the Sports Tech World Series, including the podcast, you can get in touch with me personally on LinkedIn, uh, Tom Salomes. Uh, there's not too many of me out there, so pretty easy to find. Always willing to talk to people in the industry uh, about what's happening and bring us together as a community. Here's Mike Downey from Microsoft. Mike Downey, thank you so much for joining us on Sports Tech Feed. Great to have you on the show. It's fantastic to be here. That's good. That was very enthusiastic. That's what we want from the start. So <laughs> I love this. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, and I will say at the at the I was going to say at the end of the show, but I may as well say it now because I know that you do love this kind of engagement and, and getting out there, and it's a large part of your job at Microsoft is is evangelism and getting out there. And um, definitely check out your LinkedIn Live that you did. So if people go to your LinkedIn, they can watch on live. But what's kind of been your career into sports technology so far? And, and then maybe if you could share a little bit about what you do day to day at Microsoft. Yeah, sure. I, the first roughly half of my career was at Adobe and, and it was Macromedia before that. If you can, if, you, if you're old enough to remember those days, but I worked on a technology called flash uh, and uh, that got me into uh, a lot of entertainment uh, media entertainment space through my work with Flash, which led me to Microsoft. And when I joined Microsoft, I was uh, first working on a, on a competitor to Flash called Silverlight, which is no longer really around. Uh, and a big emphasis for Silverlight was media and entertainment uh, apps. And so through that, I worked my way into working with a lot of the big media and entertainment companies, the broadcasters. That led me to managing our relationship with uh, from a tech standpoint, managing relationship with Disney and ESPN. And I was working with ESPN very heavily when Microsoft announced a big partnership with the NFL 
that coincide with the original release of the Xbox One, which was a while ago. I think that was seven or eight years ago. And when that happened, that was Microsoft's first big sports partnership. We hadn't really done much in the way of big sponsorships leading up to that. Some was, work with the Olympics, but not a lot other than that. Was that on the surface, using the surface on the sidelines? Was that the yeah. kind of, yeah. The original announcement was, uh, part of it was the Xbox. There was an NFL experience on the Xbox. And the other part was surface on the sidelines. Mm. So that was that original announcement. And we still have that partnership with the NFL today. Um, but uh, at the time, we didn't have anyone who was dedicated to sports in, in this kind of technical capacity like I'm in now. And since I happened to be the ESPN guy at the time, I was the closest we had to that. So I was very lucky to get a call from one of my executives who said, hey, we're getting a lot of sports businesses reaching out now because they heard about the NFL deal. Can you go meet with them? And I thought that would be a temporary thing. And I've been doing that for about seven years now. So I've just been totally dedicated to managing our, our sports partnerships from the tech side. We have other people who do them, the marketing, the business side of it, but I'm really focused on the tech. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, one of those, uh, one of those big tech announcements was recently with the NBA, and uh, I've got a quote here from the Commissioner Adam Silver that said, this partnership with Microsoft will help us redefine the way our fans experience NBA basketball. So Adam's not holding back on that one. Um, what elements, are, you know, what elements are going to redefine the fan experience? Like what's yeah. going to have the biggest impact about, about that agreement with Microsoft? One of the things that I think got us most excited about the potential of working with the NBA was how Im ambitious they are in really um, creating the next generation, uh, uh, rethinking how fans experience the sport uh, over digital platforms, uh, over the top OTT is the industry term that we use. Um, the NBA refers to this as their direct to consumer experience. So this is primarily the apps and the smart TV experiences and things like that. And there's a whole host of features around that, around personalizing content and making it easier for fans to interact with one another, to share content and, and all of those things. Um, so when we, when we uh, were first talking to the NBA about uh, how could our two companies work together, uh, that conversation for us with any sport is always very technical in nature. So that's what we focus in on. What kind of things can we build together? What problems can we solve? Uh, when the NBA said like we, you know, we have an, an existing OTT direct-to-consumer product. Uh, we think we could do a lot better than what we're doing today. Uh, and they wanted a tech partner who could build it alongside of them and really think through the whole process from the ground up. How can we uh, change that and, and build a fresh experience? And so that's what we focused on. And that's what got us really excited about it because those are the types of problems we like to solve. And it's also why we enjoy, I think, partnering in sports so much, because as a tech company, we're looking to show off the, the capabilities of our technology, right? And within sports as an industry, you're often hitting all of the extremes. You have almost everything's live, huge audiences. If anything goes wrong, it's a, you know, th there's a lot of eyeballs on that, any mistakes that you make. Um, and it, it's, it's an entertainment product. So they're looking for, you know, the highest quality and the, you know, it's all to the extremes. Basically, mm. as you go through every cattle, uh, every, every column in that, in that table, it's extreme, extreme, extreme. And as a tech company, that's the best opportunity for us to show off what our tech can do. Um, and so this one hit on every metric that we use for evaluating a sports partnership.
Mm. The, the other thing I always say about sports is that the, the consumers are fans, so they will give you rapid and brutal feedback about anything you do. <laughs> and that goes for you know everyone from on the field to off the field to the brands that partner. If there's something that we'll get into esports a bit later, but if um, you know something that feels a bit disingenuous, it doesn't quite click, or it you know heaven forbid doesn't work, um, they'll tear shreds off you. Yeah, so it's, it's 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 a form of entertainment that's that's fully rooted in passion, right? Mm. And so uh, fans, you know, you're right. You, I mean, that's exactly it. But that's a good thing, right? Like the the upside is when you get it right. Oh um, yeah, yeah. Sports yeah. fans are so passionate that they they get it. Like they see the value of the the solution that you've brought to market. Um, they're engaged. They want to hear the story. They see it. Um, so it's one of the, it, could, it can be high risk and high reward, right? Um, but that's what that, that's those are the problems we're trying to solve. So yeah, we're up that's, to that I challenge. mean that's yeah. what you want if you if you're building a technology solution, you think it works, right. you want it stress tested. So yeah, I mean coming back to that NBA partnership, how how does that form? Is that something that the NBA, as you said, they had an existing OTT platform, they wanted to kind of look for a way to build that? Is that you coming and going? Microsoft has the capabilities, let's do this? Or is the NBA kind of putting out to tender, so to speak? Yeah, so it depends. We we have, you know, being Microsoft, you know, we're, we have relationships with all of the major sports organizations around yeah. the world at, in some level or capacity. Uh, and so we have ongoing conversations um, as opportunities come up. They, we may reach out to them. They may reach out to us. In this case, we had been talking to the NBA. We both felt like our two companies could be a good match culturally and kind of what's important to us. Uh, and who our fans are and who our consumers are. And so we've been talking to them for a while and then they, they brought the opportunity to us that they were ready to really embark on a, a pretty significant journey on their part as an organization uh, to look at their direct-to-consumer product and completely rethink the whole thing. And the way they put it to us is there was only a, a very short list of technology partners who could help them do what they wanted to do. And that's how it started. So they, they brought the opportunity to us. Uh, we were very interested right off the bat. What they had originally pitched to us uh, fit with what our goals are. Uh, and again, there was a good cultural fit between the two companies, what our priorities are. Adam Silver and Satya, like the things they talk about, Satya's our CEO, Satya Nadella, the things they talk about culturally, you know, are, are very, very much in line. And so that's important to us. And so we put a team, a SWAT team together, and we, uh, this is before the quarantine, so we spent a lot of time out in uh, Secaucus, New Jersey, where their big uh, data center is and their headquarters, and just started, you know, whiteboarding everything for weeks, figuring it out. And uh, it was com a competitive process. There were others involved, uh, but we spent a lot of time in there just trying to understand what the problem was and then, you know, pitching our own solutions to that. And so where does, obviously there's a huge amount of marketing exposure for both the NBA and Microsoft in this. Uh, I think it, it's fair to say that um, in addition to shared values, there's also shared brands in, in terms of the strength. And as you said, there's only certain ones that can reach this capability. Um, for a technical side, Microsoft, there's only certain sporting entities around the world that can reach the reach. The reach. That wasn't a very well phrased sentence, but have the reach around the world um, 
that would make it worthwhile for Microsoft to in, invest heavily in this. Um, where does that marketing piece spin in? Is one of those things that you kind of, you just go very tech heavy and you, you figure out the technical solutions and the marketing team comes in afterwards and goes, well, this is how we can kind of um, align the value. Yeah, I, so it, obviously it varies for every brand out there who's looking to sponsor in sports. Uh, for us, being a tech company, um, we we like to, uh, from a marketing standpoint, and I'll caveat this by saying I'm an engineer, I'm not a marketer, so I'm going to give you my view on things, um, on, on how we approach from a marketing standpoint. But that said, um, we approach things from the standpoint of if there's an interesting problem to be solved and we can solve that problem with our technology, the result will be an authentic story that we can go tell that will resonate with fans. And so as we evaluate what that problem is, one of our considerations and our marketing team is part of this conversation from day one. So we do, we, they are part of this every step of the way. And in many cases, they lead a lot of our thinking on this. Um, but like my job is to help them understand the opportunity from a technology standpoint for me to propose a solution and to gather my team of, of fellow engineers so we can kind of hammer that and think through like what would be involved in doing this. Um, but our marketing team will look at, okay, so what kind of technology solution is this? Um, if it were, you know, we're, we're automating the financial processes for the league and, and things that aren't necessarily as exciting for a, a basketball fan, you know, um, then that might be something we pass on. But if it's, you know, the, the fan experience, in this case, the direct-to-consumer platform, that's a product that every fan is going to interface with. So the marketing team will look at that and go, oh, this is a, in this solution, the people that we want to get this message are going to be using the thing that we're going to be building with the NBA. So for them, that's a fantastic opportunity. Um, so that's the process we go through. We'll look at a lot of different things that we could do with the sport. Some of them aren't going to resonate as well with a consumer audience if that's who we're looking to tell a story to. Obviously, sometimes we might be looking to tell a story more to a business decision maker or an IT manager. In that, you might get a different type of solution that we'll look at. Um, but in, in big partnerships like this one, it's much more of a consumer-focused uh, uh, technology. Yeah, yeah, definitely understood. I, I think um, the example comes to mind when you spoke to Troy Taylor, the head of US um, uh, Ski and Snowboard High Performance, um, and he's had some tricky uh, situations with sponsors where he's not working alongside the marketing team. So the marketing team will say, here's a technology solution and he'll go, but my needs completely different. You know, it, they just don't match up. Like his, his, his problem is A and they give him a solution for B. So it's interesting to see um, that you do work closely with the marketing team. It, it's really essential for that reason. And when we first embarked on this, when we tried to turn sports partnerships into a program at Microsoft, into a discipline, other than like, it was essentially kind of an ad hoc program before that. Yeah. But when we said, let's turn it into a discipline, the first thing we did is we aligned our technical resources with our marketing resources so that we were in step. I had to be educated on what the marketing team was looking for. What, what are their success criteria? those types of things, then I had to educate them on 
what's possible, what's a good use of our technology, what are things that make sense and align with our product roadmap. So those two things aren't in sync. You're, you're really going to, you're not going to get the most value out of your partnership. And I have a feeling that that happens a lot. Mm. And I think that's pretty common that, yeah. that companies will get into these sponsorships because they love the brand but they're not optimizing to take best advantage of it because they're not necessarily aligned uh, internally. Yeah. And I think especially with, um, with Olympic sports where it is cyclical as well in terms of the, you know, every four years or every five years as we're strangely entering into um, that they'll kind of get involved in sponsorship, but there's no acknowledgement or alignment with technology either from needs or capability. I, I think, trying to solve a problem that isn't there can be just as bad as not solving, not solving the uh, problem. Right. Right. Putting forward a technology solution that's useless or hits the mark, misses the mark. So yeah, I mean, I mentioned esports earlier. I kind of want to dive into that. We're going to jump around a bit, but that's some of the other partnerships that you, you've kind of uh, moved into is, is actually within esports and, and gaming um, as the two distinct um, areas live sports not happening you know waiting for the next few months to see when we're going to be back in in front of some live sports either in person or um, through empty stadiums uh, and then esports is kind of having its moment in the sun is that as you see it going to continue as a trend or is that a blip is it one of those things that once yeah, the NBA is back in full swing that the, the viewers that have been watching it on ESPN lately have, um, will just abandon it or is it, has it opened it up to a whole new audience? Yeah, well, I think it's, it's a really interesting moment in, in traditional sports and in esports. And I, my optimistic way of looking at things is I think that this terrible situation that the world is in right now is actually helping to blend some of the strengths of esports and bring their audience into the world of traditional sports and vice versa. So I think that because we're all home and we're a lot of us are just desperate for content, particularly sports fans, right? We're rewatching old games and listening to a lot of commentary. I think what you're seeing happen. So a few interesting things. One, you look at esports. The most popular esport is League of Legends. That's the game title. Uh, they had their North America uh, League Championship very recently, uh, LCS um, League Championship Series. Uh, and in North America, the team that, that Microsoft partners with, coincidentally, won that championship. So that was just a couple of weeks ago, Cloud9. They won, and they actually won with a record win rate uh, for the history of League of Legends. So they had a fantastic season. And our participation in that was to help them build out an entire data science discipline to analyze that game title at the professional level and extract um, valuable data out of it so they can make better decisions as a team. So that was a big success. They did well with it. What you saw, what I, you know, as a, as a sports fan and an industry fan, a professional in the in industry, is they were able to continue their season on during the quarantine while no traditional sports were able to um, because they were able to play their games remotely from the, you know, in, in, in esports, most of these teams live in the same house together. So the entire team in the case of cloud nine and, and all of their competitors, they all live in a house. So they were already quarantined in their own house. So they basically just played out of their homes. And uh, 
uh, and Riot, the publisher, was able to adapt, make everything work uh, with the infrastructure and continue their season on after I think maybe a, a two or three week break. And then they ran their whole championship and they were able to attract their full online audience as they normally do. And I think in that circumstance, you had fans who maybe hadn't quite gotten into esports as much yet, but who were desperate for sports content hearing about and, and being exposed to esports. So you had that happening. And then they're also in, in the process, they're getting exposed to how online sports delivery works in mm. the esports world. It's a different experience. It's a different yeah. user experience. Um, and so you're, you're seeing exposure to that for larger audience. You also have traditional sports leagues and broadcasters watching that and learning from what seems to be working well, because mm. the growth is just astronomical in esports. It just continues going and it doesn't seem to be slowing down. Um, so you're, there, there's a lot of lessons being learned from that. And now that we're talking with other sports leagues and just even anecdotally, as you're listening to the industry, you're seeing a big emphasis on how do we, how do we continue the, the traditional sports um, broadcasting games in, in a world where there's an empty, it's an empty stadium or empty arena. And so I think they're looking to what's happening in esports for ideas. So when we entertain conversations around a virtual audience and using connectivity tools like Microsoft Teams and Skype and other tools like that, um, in order to bring some fans into the experience, like you're seeing a lot of interesting ideas being thrown around. And I think some of that uh, has been justified or tested through a lot of the stuff that they've been doing in esports now for years. Yeah, so what the norm is in esports is is going to cross pollinate into traditional sports. Yeah, and I think it helps. Um, it it helps with one of the biggest problems facing traditional sports, which is the age of their audience. Uh, NBA is best positioned in that in terms of the average age of their viewer uh, versus all the other traditional sports. But that's been an ongoing problem, um, and I think with esports, you have the opposite. You have very young fan base. Mm. Um, and and the, the core of their fan base is right in the sweet spot for most marketers, that 18 to 35-year-old consumer. Yeah. Uh, and in esports, their, uh, their uh, average in disposable income and stuff is actually indexes higher than normal as well. So esports for, for a marketer is really, really valuable. Um, and so I think traditional sports are seeing that, and they're trying to see how can we – try to cater to more of that audience as well. And part of it is just creating fan experiences that those types of fans have come mm. to expect because of the way they consume esports content. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's being literate in, in how the content is delivered to you. So if you had never seen a League of Legends game, well, it'd blow your mind. Like if you're just trying to watch it, it's like, it just, it's so hard to follow. Like it is very dense. It is very hard to follow what is happening but the more as with any game the more you learn about it the more you appreciate it the different tactics the um the different analytics on it the different you know rules all that kind of stuff you appreciate it as a viewer so and that's something that's that happened in um traditional sports with uh data analytics and it's, yeah. a, it's a huge thing like you you the example of basketball um you know we just take turns at shooting at, at either end if you just, right. you know, like if, if you're, I'm not saying that I'm going to get so much hate from NBA fans, but um, the, 
then you overlay analytics and you say, well, where did, um, where did he last take that shot from? Well, you know, hot hand tonight, he's been there. You look at the broader macro trends in the sport. Um, uh, someone like Kurt Goldsbury, who, who does a lot of analytics and talking about how the game's changed and now it's a three-point game. And, and you build all that and then you combine it with a narrative um, of each, um, each player, which you've seen with The Last Dance. Um, and you build that out and you get to know the players, which is another thing that esports had an exposure to is, as you said, those, those people sitting in a house together, well, who are they? You know, it's not just, just some nerdy guy behind a screen. It's like you understand their personalities, all that kind of stuff. So I think it's, it's getting esports fans literate with traditional sports and traditional sports then kind of literate with the new way that esports is, is presenting itself. Yeah, and the the learning curve for getting into this sport is always a factor, and that's a factor with every sport. It's huge in esports right now uh, because I was new to League of Legends uh, when I first started studying esports from a business perspective, and I had the same type of re response. Like I, I didn't know what was going on, and I really tried, and it was it took me a while to figure it out. Um, and I, you know, the first time I went to a cricket match with a friend of mine, uh, when I was traveling in Australia, we went to a cricket match and I had no idea what was going that's on. Fair enough. You know, rules. and he spent a lot Australian of Australian rules is, it's like watching Quidditch. Like that's how <laughs> I explain it to people. <laughs> to you me it was, yeah. 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 But once you, once you get a sense of it, you go, once oh, you get a sense of actually, it, yeah. yeah. So, so that's always a factor. And I think there are still opportunities in our industry, in sports tech, to improve that situation. Like, I think there are things that have not yet been done to make a sport more approachable uh, to a new fan. And, and if, if, if I were out there starting companies, that would be on my list of here's problems we can go solve, is how, you know, how can you do that? Or if I was a game publisher or what have you, a league, um, I, I think that that's, um, that's something that isn't, isn't focused on when it should be. So that's a whole other topic. but. Um, in terms of uh, kind of, you mentioned a minute ago about kind of how, um, uh, how fa fans expect certain moments and, um, and it, in general, what, what you made me think of is um, the thing that makes sports interesting, I think, is the drama around the moment. Like sports is really a collection of moments, right? And it goes from one moment to the next. And it's on the sport, it's on the rivalry, it's on the players, but it's also on the broadcasters and the editors and the producers and the, and the commentators um, to help provide context around mm. those moments. And when they add context to the moment, you're not just watching Steph Curry hit yet another three-pointer. He does that all the time. And if you had just tuned in and the first thing you see is Steph Curry hitting a three-pointer, your reaction might be like, okay, he does that all the time. But when you learn the context around the moment, what situation was he in when he hit that three-pointer? How common was that? Had he, had he just missed the three before that? Like all those different inputs, that's when that moment becomes way more interesting because you're adding drama to it. And so with our partnership with the NBA, we're really looking to um, use more advanced technology so that we can assist with that type of process. And this could be applied to eSport, any sport, really. But how can you use an understanding of historical content, an understanding of the stats, and, and stats can go extremely rich. How can you use that information to, at the right moment, offer it up so that it adds context to any individual moment that suddenly makes that moment way more interesting? 
And that's for us from a technology standpoint, we think that's one of the biggest problems that still needs to be solved. And we're doing a lot of that work with the NBA. And is that about personalization? Is that a large part of that using data to go, well, you, you can have a universal experience. Everyone's interested in, a, I mean, for instance, the NFL draft, talking about the families of, of where these draft prospects have come from right. and right. battling through adversity and hardship and, and that kind of stuff just pulls at the heartstrings because we're all human. Um, but is it more about like using data to then go, you really want to know about this player or you really want to know your advanced stats on where this, like this, you're, you're a history buff. Like, is this the most three points that have ever been scored in the NBA or something like that, or most attempts on uh, this night in this stadium? Well, I think you gave a really great example. So this doesn't have to be just showing the right stat at the right time, although that can be extremely compelling and that's one of our missions. But you could also have a scenario where, you know, I, one that I've been using recently in our conversations with the NBA is, Steph Curry is on pace to be the greatest three-point shooter of all time, and in some categories he is. But his head coach, Steve Kerr, also holds records, uh, NBA records, for three-point shooting. And not everyone knows that. If you're a casual mm. fan, you may not realize that. But there is, there's a potential scenario where Steph Curry hits a three-point shot, and that shot somehow relates to something that his head coach had already done back in the 90s, right? And if there's not a human who's an encyclopedia of basketball who immediately goes, yes, there's a clip we can find when Steve Kerr did this 20 years ago, right? Uh, let's pull that up right now because that makes that one shot way more interesting. Like that's a kind of thing that could be automated, right? And so that could be uh, editorial content. That could be an interview that that player did. Maybe that player, you have a clip of him when he was in, you know, just coming out of, of college, uh, and, and the local TV station got a clip of him saying, yeah, one day I'm going to do X. Mm. And maybe he just did that. And you know that programmatically, you know that that clip is out there. If you could go find that and automate the process of, of playing that right now, th that's like from a production standpoint, it doesn't get any better than that because you're optimizing the drama around every moment. Yeah, definitely. And, and something that's virtually impossible without technology. I mean, I say virtually impossible. It's, it's almost possible, but wow, that would take a lot of work. And by the time that you have it ready for delivery, the moment's passed. So. And, and sorry to tie it to your earlier question around personalization. So take that concept that I just described, which is more of a, like just the broad broadcast situation and apply that to an individual user. So if I'm an NBA fan, I'm subscribing to their league pass product and I'm watching a game then why can't that experience be really tailored to my own personal interests, right? So there may be one player in that game that I'm watching who isn't the star. You know, if I'm watching the Lakers, maybe it's not LeBron. Maybe it's the number six guy on the bench who went to the same high school as me or whatever. Mm. For whatever reason, I'm interested in something else. I was going to say, Australians, Matthew Deladova. Delhi or, or whoever else, yeah. or, you know, Eastern Europe, and then you, you, yep. you just focus on the Eastern European players. Yeah, and it might be that, or it might be a certain style of play. Maybe yeah. I'm really a defense guy, so I'd rather see Draymond Green than see Clay Thompson clips, right? So there's, there's those types of scenarios. So if, if my experience in the app, if it's aware of what my preferences are, 
and it can predict things that I'm going to enjoy, then it can provide a more personalized experience. And that could be with showing me stats that I'm most likely to be interested in at the right time or an old interview or just generating a playlist of clips just for me that are, that are AI driven and they're driven by my own viewing patterns and things like that. That's our ultimate goal in this. When we talk about like the next generation fan experience, those are the types of things we're talking about because the, the status quo is get that rectangle of the game uh, from courtside out to your computer screen or your, your, your phone. And that's it. Like that's what most people do. Like just get the game in front of you. So that's kind of this table stakes. We're thinking like, how do we make that a more personal experience and more intelligent so that effectively for a fan, there's, there's more signal and less noise. Like get more of the noise out of the way and show me the stuff that I'm most interested in. Yeah, definitely. I uh, definitely agree with that. And that's, and that's something that is sports returns as well, is that people have had this time to seek out content that they want. Then I think there's probably going to be a heavy expectation that they can, they can get uh, personalized content. You know, people are going back and rewatching their favorite games. People are, people are seeking out the things they want to, and it's going to be busy as well. That's the other thing. Like once sports are back, there's going to be a lot on. So I think having the cut through um, with fans is, is going to be incredibly important. Yeah, I agree. So thank you so much for the time. I know we're, we're kind of running, we're running out here. So I just wanted to um, leave you with a final question that we do with all our guests. What is your favorite sporting moment of all time? Oh my goodness. Um, <laughs> well, I would say that for me, my, my number one sports team is the 49ers. And, um, when I, when I saw, um, so many plays stand out, I, I have to be generic and cheesy and just say it's the catch. So Joel Montana, Dwight Clark, I, I wasn't, I was alive. I am that old. Um, and I'm sure I was probably watching the game as a little kid because it was mid eighties. Um, but just as a highlight reel, like it just, like it doesn't get more dramatic than that moment. Joe Montana hitting Dwight Clark for the win. There's the catch too. There's a bunch of great moments like that. But for me, uh, and I got a chance to meet Dwight Clark when I was young and he's just a great guy. And, uh, and we lost him last year, but that's just like, that was my moment. That was a huge moment. Awesome. All right. Well, we'll include in the show notes, we'll include a, um, a clip to that as well. So, um, yeah, that's, I mean, that kind of hits the nail on the head of everything that we've just been talking about is, is what it makes the fan experience and those moments you, you remember for your whole life. Agreed. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for your time, Mike. Um, thanks for being on Sports Tech Feed. Yeah, thanks, Thomas. It was a pleasure. I appreciate it. That was Mike Downey, Principal Architect, Sports Technology at Microsoft. Great to have Mike share his expertise uh, with us. Uh, as I mentioned at the very beginning, he's done some great LinkedIn Live sessions. I think the last one that he did was on eSports. So I've shared that in the show notes, sportstechfeed.com. Uh, you can go have a look there and learn more about what they're doing. Microsoft, a bit more of a deep dive into the stuff on the eSports side. And really excited to see what uh, the partnership takes shape with the NBA as details are released. So if you'd like to stay informed of what's happening in the industry, then sportstechworldseries.com forward slash newsletter. There you'll stay up to date on what Microsoft, what the NBA, and all the other players around the world in sports tech are doing. Until next week, I've been your host, Thomas Aloms. Great to have you joining us and looking forward to seeing you again. Ah!